Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. ...by man, and they, they put it all together, and it's been up for many, many decades. I know that if you haven't been on the Golden Gate Bridge, you've certainly seen pictures of it, because it's so beautiful as it looks over the beautiful San Francisco Bay. And I hope that sometime when you're in Northern California that you'll have that opportunity to do that. But the big question is, is it's been up for so long, and what holds it up? Well, if you ask most kids, they'll say probably a big cable, a bunch of cables that are all kind of united and connected to one another from one end of the bridge to the other end of the bridge. And that's true. But then if you go a little bit deeper and you ask the question, well, what's inside those cables? Well, they'll say wires. Well, that's true too. But what kind of wires? Well, if you look over here at our beautiful grand piano, inside this piano that makes all those beautiful sounds and notes that we have happens to be what we would call piano wire. Well, the Golden Gate Bridge has those wires in it, but not just one wire, but a couple wires wrapped together around another wire and little cables wrapped around medium-sized cables until you get such a huge cable that the men and women who take care of and maintain the Golden Gate Bridge can actually walk on those cables from one end to the other. It's so high with safety ropes and belts and chains and all of that. They can do that. Now, you're wondering, why am I making that illustration? It's because the church is very much like that. We are like one big cable made up of individuals, like little wires. And as we stand together, we're strong and we can do great things and carry humanity in a certain way, even to heaven with the message of the gospel by faith alone and Christ alone. And that reminds me even of our last Jubilee that we've had a couple of weekends ago. And what a great time we've had. We've had people from the founder of this church to former alumni of the church all gathering together and really remembering each other and the memory of God's faithfulness. And that was a wonderful thing. It kind of reminded us of our heritage of days gone by, the foundation upon which we built to where we are today. And then we heard from the new pastor that we have, Pastor Scott, as he now points us in the direction for the future. And together, we want to bond with one another. We want to be wired together as we move forward with that same message of the gospel and carrying many generations forward into heaven with that message through our life and through our lips and how precious that is. But then you got thinking, when did all of that begin? Well, the message of salvation began all the way back in the mind of God before man ever committed any sin. And so he already provided a sin bearer mentally and for us, prophesied all the way from Genesis on through. But yet really what brought the church together was when he himself and the person of the Holy Spirit came and the church begun. And that really brought us, whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, out of all nations of the world when they confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord, who is their Savior by faith alone, they became a part of the church as we have today. Well, what kind of keeps us together is to remember that we are one of the same body of Christ. I've been here a long time now, and many of you have been trying to keep some of the little quotes that I give, and I hope that you remember this one quote, because it's an important one in the message today and where we're going. And that's simply this. Everybody is somebody in his body. Can you say that with me? Everybody is somebody in his body, in the body of Christ. That means you're very, very important to the Lord, and we need each other. And I believe it even goes back to the time of the Apostle Paul that, you know, many of you that know enough about Scripture know that the Holy Spirit inspired a guy by the name of Paul to begin recording God's mind on paper. 
And much of the New Testament, not all of it, but much of the New Testament was written by Paul. Now, Paul was used of God as a great soul winner. Wherever he went, whether Jew or Gentile, he was communicated the message that salvation was by grace through faith. And so back then, today, same message. But he did more than that. He also was a great church planter. He planted churches in Corinth, in a place called Ephesus, or Philippi. These are words that if, you're not new to, if you are new to Scripture, you may not know what they really mean, but those are real cities with real people, just like you and me in days gone by. But he wasn't just a theologian. You know, you can't plant a church. You can't be effective in evangelism if you really don't love people, if you really don't care for people. I'm reminded one quip I saw that said, I love pastoring. It's people I can't stand. Well, how do you, you just can't work that way. And now we're at the end of the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is a tremendous book. In fact, it's such a book that is referred to as the Magna Carta of the faith. So if you're looking in all of the Bible and you're saying, if I wanted to know more about the faith or the Christianity, where would I go? Genesis, so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and we don't know what begot means. No, I don't think we'd start in Genesis. You might read Proverbs, because that does talk about nice, pithy little principles to live one toward another that God would have. Psalms gives us this inspiration about the Lord, and we look up, and that's all great. You might start in John, maybe some of the Gospels. You can follow the life of Christ. But if you wanted to know the doctrine or the theology of the church in a nutshell, you would go to the book of Romans. In fact, there was a great theologian by the name of uh, Krustenberger, and he said that the Gospel of John along with the book of Romans, could most likely be referred to as the twin towers of New Testament theology. And I'm so glad that the Lord has allowed me the opportunity to preach through the gospel of John. And today, we will, Lord willing, complete the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the people he loved so much in the city of Rome who were Christians. And he's now writing to them. And so now he's not dealing with heavy theology He's dealing with just making sure that he expresses what I might call aloha, that he was really expressing his love for them. And if you would like to know the book of Romans chapter 16 in four little mountain peaks, they're very easy to remember, but yet they're filled with tremendous truths. So let's look at those four today as we really conclude Romans chapter 16. And what he really does is he begins with this. The first thing he does, like many of you will do, you will greet people when you write a letter. Sometimes when you write a letter, you will say, dear so-and-so, you might, I like to say, aloha, and put the person's name there. Maybe that's how you'll do that. Well, he's not only greeting them, he is now greeting special people there. So the first one would be that if we want to do this, we want to give greetings to other people. And I hope that when you put a letter out that you might not only remember the person, but you might remember other people in their life. And he does it by giving categories. Now, yes, he gives names. And I really wish that I had the time to unpack every name in chapter 16. There's over 29 names that are mentioned here, and they're identified with anything from being a a sister in the Lord or a fellow servant in the Lord. It has all different little monikers around it, and every one of those names means something. And if you had the opportunity to kind of look at those names and chase those names through Scripture, you're going to find that those names are of people who bumped into one another as God was now bringing the church together in one big cable to be a worldwide influence for Jesus Christ. But we're not going to do that today. You can do that in your own time. It's very fascinating, very helpful. But what I'd like to do is to take from that information some truths that you might be able to take home with you about when we're greeting people, what about people? 
Instead of just seeing them as a name in a church directory or a telephone book or in a whole litany of names on a Facebook page, why don't you look at them and the kind of people that they were? So the first one, he says, remember the women in ministry. And he goes over a couple of verses about a gal named Phoebe and how that this woman was used of God, perhaps had the gift of leadership. It was used in a way to really influence many people. And so when I look at her, I think of you women who are in ministry. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a podium to teach from or have to be a great writer, or have a group around you. But the very fact that you've chosen to live your life purposely to influence others, even in the feminine context, you are a great woman. And so at that particular point, Paul is remembering those that are not just doing ministry, but are kind of known for doing church-type ministry to remember them. He then moves in verses 3 through verse 5, and he talks about those who are married. And he lists a couple there, Priscilla and Aquila. That's a fine couple to look in Scripture because you're going to see that they really work together. Interestingly, though, the wife is mentioned first, so she might have had more of a dominant personality. Not wrong, not, not right. It's just that's the way that they came together. Have you known that opposites attract, don't they? And then they attack, and then they learn how to attach, all right? And I think Priscilla and Aquila probably were at that last phase. They've learned how to attach and do ministry well together, and they did such a great ministry helping people to be able to communicate the word of God even more clearly. So I look at you and I look at those of you that open up your home to a home ministry, making sure the home is looking nice, making sure the material is together, making sure that while you're there that you're purposely trying to bring people hopefully to another level in their walk with the Lord, grace to grace. Whether you work together with our children or whether you work together in our music, wherever it might be, that you try to find a ministry that husband and wife can work together. I think at times it'll really make you stronger and better when you do that because together you're knowing more about the ministry that each of you are called to together rather than having to catch people up, other mates, because they're in another ministry. Now, sometimes you have to separate and do other things. I don't teach Carol's Bible study that she does with the ladies and the ladies say amen, thank you, all right? But the bottom line is we still serve together and we're able to share that. So maybe you might want to think about doing that and have a conversation with your wife or your husband and see what he might the Lord might have you do together and take baby steps as you do that. One little step. Don't just come to church usually and go home usually, come back usually next week, but not go to that next level. I'm telling you, God has divinely designed you for some great things that you can do. He's given you spiritual gifts, personalities, abilities, experiences, even a, a passion for things. So talk it out as a couple. But then we go in verses 5 through verse 16. He goes over, I call him give greetings to our friends. You know, remember our friends. And these may not be necessarily a husband or wife. They very well could be. And this list is very long. And so as I went through this list and further in another list we'll talk about in just a moment, I then put up the kind of people that Paul is remembering. And what I'm going to go through is this list of the kinds of people that they were. And I'd like you to look at that list and say, you know what that tells me? That the Lord is interested in technicolor. He likes things all different shapes and sizes, young and old. They're all in different kinds of walks of life that God can use you, whatever walk of life that you're in. And so he says, give greetings to those people. And then you could talk about fellow servants, those that have went the other mile to help someone else. But here they are. Listen to this list. We already mentioned a couple. Women in ministry. You had married couples serving the Lord together. In fact, a couple times it mentioned entire households that served the Lord together, where the entire home got together and said, what can we do as a family to impact our community for Christ? Then you had twins. We think they could have been twin sisters. 
And you know how twins can function in a family. And then you had, and this was very interesting, a mother and a son. We don't know what happened to the dad. He might have left, he might have died, he might have been murdered, killed, persecuted. We don't see any other brothers or siblings or sisters. It's just a mother and a son. And sometimes when you look at a mother and a son, you have a lot of wonderful thoughts. Is the son taking care of the mother? Or maybe is the mother taking care of the adult son? Or what's really going on? The point of the matter wasn't just each were there for each other. They were that. But each were there for each other so that together, mother, son could have an impact for Christ. So whatever your relationship family-wise, whatever you have left, together talk about what can we do together rather than just attending church. And that's a big deal. And faithfulness is even more. But at the same time, can we do more than just attend? So we have a mother and son. Then we have groups of businessmen. There's a whole section there, one little verse where all these guys are all together. So I'm going to assume, I, I may be taking too much of a stretch on this, but it's possible that whether they were a team or whether they were all buddies or whether that they were in business together, the point of the matter was it's a group of guys that were used of the Lord. So maybe some of you guys have your old buddies and together you might come, whether it's a small group men's ministry or you guys go fishing together or surfing together or whatever it might be. That maybe one of your conversations may not be how they biting, how big the waves. It might be a little bit, what can we do together? Maybe we could have our own little ball team, invite others on the team so they can see Christianity through us and maybe open up a conversation and then together bridge into the community. So again, it was a group of guys getting together. And then honestly, there's some names in here. I couldn't find anything about them. Were they rich, poor? I don't know. They're just names that he's mentioning. So I'd like to simply say they're the unknowns. And there are going to be some unknowns. Some will perhaps be elevated by the Lord. I don't mean elevated in importance, but elevated in notoriety. That they might have the spotlight thrown on them. They might be put in front of kings to be able to speak. And then there'll be the others that they're not. And I think, frankly, there are a lot more of those unknowns in Christianity than there are those that are known. But the unknowns do not mean that they're less important in any way than those who are known. I think about the time that I've had surgery in my life. I knew who my doctor was, certainly. I knew who my surgeon was. I might have known some of his support staff, but I didn't know who wrapped the bandages. I didn't know who worked to keep the electricity going. I, I didn't know who was in certain... I, they're unknowns to me. But I'm here today, not because of just the skilled hands of the surgeon, but I'm here today because of the unknowns, and so are you. The point of the matter is, these people were known enough to Paul that he knew their names. So at least we can know each other's names. But secondly, they had some kind of a significance in an area that he hadn't been to yet. Because he says, greet them who are there with you in Rome. And he's in Corinth. So greet those. That are, so he, somehow he had his ears open to those and what they're doing out there. He knew their names. And something impressed him. But the Lord didn't want to put down there what they did. And I think it was a reason. Because sometimes we don't know what you do, but we have to accept you where you are and applaud you and celebrate that. So then you had those that are the unknowns. Then you had his own personal secretary. Because you'll read in there a guy by the name of, however you want to pronounce it, Tertius or Tertius. It doesn't really matter. It matters that this guy did the writing of Romans underneath the dictation of Paul, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So whatever this guy wrote, it had to be as accurate as what he was, as Paul was getting from the Lord, because that would turn into Holy Writ at that time. And we know that Paul perhaps had a very strong eye uh, problem. And that... That's tough, so you need someone else to maybe do your writing. So he had a secretary. So some of you that think that you're not very important, you very well may be doing the very thing that'll change the entire direction of a ministry. 
And you might just say, I'm, I'm just a secretary. It, it doesn't really matter. I just fill out paperwork. One decimal point as you turn in a form could bring the government down on you like a hammer. So you're not just a secretary. You are important to the Lord. And then I see a pastor in there, a young pastor. He mentions Timothy. He was discipling him, mentoring him. We knew that, past, that Timothy eventually was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So there's a pastor in there. And then there was a, a guy who hosted a church. Now, when we think of hosting a church, you might think of somebody who owned property, built this big church building, and now he says, you church, you can use it. I'm going to rent it back to you. That's not what it was in the New Testament. In the New Testament was, it was simply, we want to gather together. Where is there a safe place that we can come together for fellowship, security, worship? And why don't you come to my house? It's a little bit bigger. It's not so boxed up. So you come, and I'm going to host it, meaning that my house will be ready for you to come. You're not going to have to clean it all, fix it all up. No, I'll be here. And when you're here, I'm going to make sure that you feel, here it is, welcome. He was like the king of Ho'okipa, as we would say here in Hawaii. He just took charge of that. So maybe that's what you, I can't teach the word, I can't preach, can't sing, can't dig a ditch, can't clean the bathrooms, but God gave me this house. Come on in. And when you come, it'll be cleaned. You're not going to have to do anything but just love on each other, care for each other, encourage one another, learn the word, and go back out and make a mark for God. So maybe that's you. So he was a host. And here's an interesting, he's actually, this guy, Erasmus, he's known as a city treasurer. So even in the midst of thinking Rome was all filled and every Roman person in government was just blasting down on Christians for persecution, and there was a lot of that going on because that was encouraged, uh, reality was they weren't all that way. And he was in government, government worker, all right? And yet he was someone that Paul would address, say, be sure to greet him, city treasurer. I wonder how many are in our own government that are feeling very alone out there that are Christians and we don't greet them. We kind of, we throw the government under the bus. The government is nothing more than people and more in this general conversation, those that are running the government, we throw every one of them under the bus and they're struggling as well. And they might need a greeting from us, a word of encouragement, an attaboy. And on the other hand, if you are in government, are you a secret servant, Christian? Or are you going to go a little public with your faith when and where you can? legitimately and ethically and morally, legally. And then he had another group which would be just slaves. These are just the nobody slaves. How they got to be slaves could have been they were conquered by the Roman slaves. It could have been enslaved because they were indebted in slaves. It could have been slaves because of whatever reason, family slaves. That's all they could do. Sell themselves out as a slave. Who knows? So that then gave me two other groups that I'm going to surmise would be in this. And I think you'll agree with me. So let's still speculate here, but I think we're in a good place. That would tell me that as he looked at the church, he saw wealthy people and he saw poor people. He saw name people. He saw no name people. So when I look at you and you look at me, we look at one another, we're all in the family of God. Not once did he say, I really like this guy over here. You be sure to say hi to him. He's really walking with the Lord. He never once said they're walking with the Lord. He just said what they did. He didn't qualify them on their spiritual maturity level on a quotient of how far they've been or how much of or how long they prayed or whatever it was. He just identified them basically as this. They're doing the best they can with what they got, where they are for the glory of God. 
And he let God, the Holy Spirit, begin to work with them. He let the word of God that he was been teaching them begin to transform them from the inside out. And I think that's a great lesson as I look at the Apostle Paul to give greetings to one another. So maybe um, what you might do is start looking at groups of people and not see them as good or bad, tall or short, thin or otherwise. You want to look at people as just, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. They have value. And if the most I can do is just greet them, I'll do that. Well, he ends with that greeting to others with a little bit of a doxology here. You know, he says, all churches greet you, greet one another. I guess you wouldn't call that so much a doxology, but a a fact of basically saying, um, don't forget them. We don't forget you. We're all in this family together. The only little tangent I want to go off with that is this. And that is that as I look at this crowd here today without bringing anybody's name, I know that some of you probably are already involved in another church somewhere else. And I want you to know that from our perspective here, it's not we're in, you're out. It's not who's in and who's out of this thing. It's like we're all in the family of God if we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior. It doesn't matter what the tag is, whether you're Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran. What does matter is if you placed your faith alone in Christ, because it's all about Christ. One wag said this, he says, if it's all about tags, when you go up, those tags will blow off. If you go down, they'll burn off. So it really doesn't matter the tag. What matters is if you trusted Christ as Savior. And I think when we do that, we might see that even on our island here in Oahu, that there are a lot more Christians here. And so we need to come together and encourage one another, not compromise doctrine, not compromise truth and Christian life experiences, but at the same time give understanding and acceptance as the Apostle Paul did. Because later on you're going to see, not only did he say give greetings to those that are in Rome, he's also then bringing with him in his letter Greetings from us who here are in Corinth, uniting two churches, two cities, but underneath one God for the same purpose of bringing glory to the Lord and global evangelism. And so we can work together with that. Well, we leave that because now he goes into something that almost like the sandwich technique here. He does say this. He says, give distance to divisive people. Now, remember, as he's getting this message from the Lord and it's going through his personality and all the ways that God made him, and he's now saying this to his secretary, recording all of this, that the Lord is now saying this. And yes, it's to Rome, but it's also by extension to us. So while you have this lovey-dovey good feeling going on, you also have something else. Hey, you like that joy? You like that good feeling? Now, let me ask you. How many of you have the opportunity to come to any of our Jubilee events, whether it was Friday night or Saturday at the banquet or Sunday for the installation here or last week at camp? How many of you had an opportunity to do that? Would you raise your hand? If you had a good time, say amen. Amen. Oh, that's great. You had a great time, most of you. Now, if you felt left out, I want you to know that you're no longer left out. This is the last of the Jubilee, so you're still a part of it, okay? Now, that being said, though, You know what can take away this joy is when you have someone who comes into your life who begins to chip away at that which you believed, that which you sensed as a real core value of your your belief system. And so Paul was really warning this, and I think he was warning it for a lot of different reasons, and I'm going to read this to you in a moment. One of it is, is because he spent a great deal of time pouring his life into the people he loved. He loved those people. And he didn't want the truth that he gave to those people, that he was motivated by love to give to them, to be stolen from them by false teaching. 
So that implies this, that no matter how great these people are that he is now writing to, how much he wants to greet them and all the nice things he said about them, he also realized that they were raw meat. They were tender lambs for any wolf or any false teacher to come in. And yeah, he'd feel like part of his ministry was wasted because these people followed the false teacher. But more than that, he was concerned with what the false teaching could do to the people who had sound teaching but then walked away from it and followed false teaching. So now as I look at that, I think, could that happen to you and to me? I think it could. Let's go back to the Bible days for a moment. You remember what I said? He got the message. He then quoted it to his secretary. His secretary wrote it. It's possible she rolled it up into a, or he rolled it up into a scroll, gave it to a lady by the name of Phoebe, and she then took it to Rome. I get that, okay? Today, all we have to do to communicate is to take out our phone. How many of you are on Facebook? Raise your hand. You can admit it, okay. Friend the church, if you will, all right? That's what you want to do. But beyond all that, you got Snapchat in here. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.